Come on. The strong, the powerful Patrick Healy has returned to Money Savage. Welcome back, Patrick. Uh, thanks, George. It's great to be back, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Yes, ha- ha- Happy New Year indeed. Patrick is an MBA. He's a CFP. He's the founder and president of Caliber Financial Partners. He's a frequent contributor to outlets like CNBC and Kiplinger's, many others. Again, excited to have you back on the show. Patrick, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Right. So I, uh, I started Caliber Financial in 2013. So this is our eighth year in business. And um, I would argue that 2020 is perhaps uh, the most challenging navigating through, obviously, the pandemic, everything going on in the world. Um, but uh, we are surviving and thriving now and heading into 2021 with a, a positive outlook. And um, I think, uh, you know, uh, we, we were speaking a bit off camera. Um, the, uh, the equity markets are, are certainly uh, helping with that. And I think there's a lot of positive enthusiasm with respect to that. Um, on a personal level, I am a big endurance athlete. I, uh, uh, I'm a marathon trainer. And uh, so uh, from a, a personal standpoint, this has been also a challenging year as most of the races have been canceled and been forced to kind of uh, just redirect and training and, and try and stay positive uh, in light of all the cancellations and obviously everything going on and disruptions in people's lives. Um, but generally, I'm a very positive person. Um, I like to travel, so that's also been put on the back burner. But hopefully in 2021, we're going to be able to resume that, get on airplanes and, and go on vacation and explore the world a little bit more. I think probably as we get into the middle part of the year, that's more of a, a realistic scenario, but um, very eager to get back to doing that. Very family oriented. Uh, I have a bunch of nephews and a niece and uh, two sisters and close family connection here in New Jersey, which is where I uh, am located and uh, where our office is located as well. So uh, just a few things about me. Yeah. Nice. Appreciate all that. I really thought about, um, well, obviously, I think a lot about sporting events just in general, but hadn't really thought about, you know, organized events for 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 regular non-professional athletes but what a bummer right you can't you can't go run you can't i mean i'm sure that there's hundreds of thousands of events every month that that have all been put on hold so hopefully sometime this year patrick yeah yeah agreed so specs special purpose acquisition companies i know very little uh, little about them um, I'm, I'm always happy to, to be honest with people and say that this is not my area of expertise. So excited to have you on to talk about it. What I do know is that a lot of money went towards this, this new kind of investment, or I don't even know if it's a new kind of investment in, 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 in 2020. So, so fill us in a little bit about, about SPACs. So you're absolutely right. There's been a ton of, uh, investment dollars allocated to this type of a, a structure. And I think that's only going to accelerate as we get into 2021. Um, the number of filings with the SEC for new SPACs has really jumped up uh, as we get into January and, and 2020 was a pivotal year. Look, it's it's basically a, a professional sponsor, a well-known hedge fund manager or uh, a Wall Street titan, somebody with a real pedigree and a following where they will... Uh, do an IPO with the SEC is basically a blank check company, right? So they're raising capital with the intention of creating a business combination with a private company 
that may otherwise stay private for longer in their life cycle before they ultimately decide to IPO. So it's a it's a sort of a promise that the the SPAC sponsor, if you will, is going to raise a bunch of capital. They're likely going to get institutional investor support through what's known as a pipe or a, a public investment in a private entity. Um, and then the goal is to combine a, with a private company, um, and many of them are focused on high growth areas, um, bringing that company to market perhaps sooner than they would in their, their growth life cycle, um, injecting them with quite a bit of capital that allows them to accelerate that growth. Um, the SPAC sponsor has 24 months to create a business combination. The funds that are, are raised in the IPO sit in trust. And ultimately, uh, there would be a business combination announced and then proxied uh, to shareholders of the SPAC um, to, to ultimately close the transaction through a reverse merger. And then the private company assumes the, uh, the public entity and the ticker changes. Um, those types of transactions often come with warrants attached, which tend to trade separately after a period of time after the initial IPO. So there's been a lot of hype and speculation. I think a lot of people are betting and putting an emphasis on growth uh, in the equity markets. And so there's been some enthusiasm there. Um, your younger uh, viewers that kind of trade on the Robinhood network um, tend to be millennials, right? And, and they are doing sort of their forms of research and uh, there's a lot of coverage on different uh, media outlets like YouTube, et cetera. So it's getting a lot of buzz. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of legitimate companies with real growth prospects that, um, as I said, would otherwise stay private. And the thing that I'm excited about as an investor and a manager of capital on behalf of clients is, <clears throat> you know, historically, a lot of those companies would stay private much longer. And the, the initial growth would be uh, benefited uh, would excuse me be accrued more towards the venture capital investors, uh, large family offices, uh, Wall Street institutional investors, and so uh, this is opening up a channel for retail investors to really participate in that early stage growth, where a lot of the valuation is created, um, and not have to wait until the, the company ultimately IPOs down the road, uh, where a lot of times the the price is inflated, and then you're chasing at a much higher level. So hopefully that gives you yeah just what it is that that that's super interesting is well maybe I'll try to just walk through this process again so a somebody some some large financial company says we're going to open a SPAC they become the SPAC sponsor and they don't necessarily say here's exactly what we're going to do with your money after we raise it you are giving us discretion to to invest it however we see fit. And because they have a good reputation in the market and there's an appetite for this kind of thing, investors put money into this. So that sort of opens the SPAC or funds it? So that's correct, right? So it is an actual IPO, but they're IPOing uh, into a shell company, right? So okay. you, if you're going to invest during the IPO or the post-IPO soon thereafter before a business combination has been identified, then you're really putting your bet on the the reputation of the sponsor and their ability to get a deal done. Um, and so you're really looking through to uh, the, the sponsor's reputation, uh, their network is really what you're tapping into. Uh, it certainly behooves them to get a deal done because they benefit significantly from a financial standpoint, right? And in, in most cases, they would uh, be eligible for 20% uh, of the uh, combined company, which 
can be a lot of money. Sure. I think ultimately there'll be some compression on those deal terms in future SPACs. And you might see that that number get cut in half or certainly whittled down because uh, 20% is, is a, a hefty price to pay for, uh, you know, sort of combining a, 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 a merger. Um, and a number of the sponsors are doing series of these, right? So it's not just a one-off SPAC. Some of them who have had early success in 2020 are trying to replicate that and bringing other you know, private companies to market. Um, so there are different stages of where you can invest, right? If you're really confident in the SPAC sponsor and their ability to get a deal done, um, you might invest uh, during the IPO or soon thereafter. Um, if you're waiting, you wanted to sort of wait until a business combination is announced, uh, then uh, you have a better understanding and more visibility into the type of company that they're trying to bring public. Um, that would be another stage where you can invest. Um, or you can wait until the actual merger gets done. Um, you're going to see the price bounce around, though, uh, depending on where they are in the life cycle of the SPAC. And even after the merger uh, takes place, assuming it gets voted on, uh, you're going to see some, some volatility there, right? There, these are early stage companies. Uh, there's, uh, in, in some cases, these are pre pre-revenue companies, so you're really relying on revenue projections. So you really need to do your due diligence. And uh, if you're an inexperienced investor, I would caution you to align yourself with somebody that really knows what they're doing and can structure a portfolio um, that gives you exposures into different uh, sectors, different SPAC sponsors, et cetera. Um, but uh, it's, an, it's a, an evolving uh, aspect of the capital markets, and I think that will only grow in 2021. Yeah, that's that's uh, fascinating for sure. I, I can certainly see why why those sponsors that had success last year would certainly want to have more success with something like this moving forward. Um, you know, part of me just sort of laughs a little bit because it seems like a a a just a prototypical Wall Street banker you know new thing that 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 they're creating. But I, I guess that makes me a little bit a uh, little bit of a cynic. Um, so that that's neither here nor there. Um, okay. So, so there, it, it's an actual IPO, and so it's 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 potential that you can participate at at that stage to actually get the money in, and then, and then there's going to be opportunities. So, so those shares then just just trade on regular markets. They do right, and uh, and the warrants once they're detached from the original security will also trade independently on on those regular markets, and so. Uh, the, the, the basic deal terms of a SPAC, most of them um, IPO in units. So it's the stock, uh, excuse me, the common stock and uh, either a fraction of a warrant. Um, they're often done at $10 um, and then they will trade freely in the market after the IPO. Um, the warrant terms uh, are exercisable, generally speaking, at $11.50. And so they're out of the money when they're initially IPO'd. But, um, that doesn't mean they can't get bid up by speculators. And then obviously as a, a business combination is announced, there, there tends to be a lot of trading activity in and around that. There also tends to be a lot of trading activity that tries to front run that with the expectation that in the aftermarket, there might be a business uh, deal announced and, uh, and now you're trying to react to it after the markets have closed. But there is a safety net with SPACs. And I think that's part of the appeal that is giving a lot of confidence to investors to pour money into these, right? So if ultimately a business combination is announced, uh, you will have the right as a shareholder before the shareholder vote to redeem your shares for that $10. So 
So uh, the, the, the cash that is raised in the IPO for the SPAC is held in trust. It accrues interest, uh, not a lot of interest because interest rates are virtually zero these days, but it's certainly a positive and it gives you a free look into what deal they ultimately uh, um, are, are looking to combine with. And then if you don't like the deal or the share price is not trading in line with those expectations, you could always uh, you know, redeem your shares for that $10. So um, if you're getting in um, soon after the IPO and it's still trading in the 10 or 10.05 or 10.10 range, your downside is pretty limited. Your upside could be exponential. Um, and so I think that aspect of the structure gives people a lot of confidence that if they're getting in at, at a relatively low price, uh, they they have a escape clause, so to speak. Yeah, well, that's, that, I think that's that's I think that's pretty interesting right there. Okay, so. Um, just, just so I do, hopefully, sort sort of put this all all the way together. So before the vote, um, people have the ability. So raise the money. It's 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 trading. The the company announces that there's a merger with um, XYZ Sports Betting, and at at that time, then the the board members or, or or all the stockholders need to vote to to approve that merger. That's correct. The stockholders do. Okay, so so all the stockholders do get a vote to to approve or deny the merger, and then that 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 gets approved, and so then the SPAC combines with XYZ Sports Betting Company in this example, and that then IPOs again. No, no, no. So. The IPO is when the SPAC raises capital in the market, right? That's the offering period. Okay. Uh, once the business combination is announced and then a, a shareholder vote is scheduled, once they pass certain stipulations that the SEC requires, their shareholder vote will take place, assuming it is successful. Um, and most of them, I, I think without fail, uh, end up going through, at, le at least the early ones that have been uh, proxied for shareholder vote. because. You're, you're investing with the expectation the price is going to be quite a bit higher. Yeah. If the price is trading down because the market doesn't like the deal, um, you'd be more inclined to want to redeem your shares for the $10, get on with your life, and, and move on to the next investment. But um, you know, there's been a lot of enthusiasm around these where you've seen the, the price of these get bid up well into the teens, and in some cases north of 20 so you'd be a fool to want to vote that down uh, and then just to take your $10 back when the, the share price has already doubled in, in some cases. So. Yes. Yeah, um, and the merger, would, the merger would go through uh, a couple of days uh, after the shareholder vote, assuming it's successful, and then the ticker symbol would change and then it gets updated in brokerage accounts. Got it. Okay. So there's not a new issuance of shares or anything like that. It just becomes essentially a, a new company. Correct. Got it. Interesting. Okay. And how much money are we talking about? That's 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 flowed in here. Is it way more than than, than other investments? I think the number in 2020, some of the numbers that I've heard are north of 60 billion uh, for SPACs. I would anticipate that number being trumped in 2021, uh, just because of the sheer volume of filings and the the fact that the market has been so receptive to the structure. Uh, the temptation by you know, SPAC sponsors to uh, replicate the, the the business model or to join some of their friends and colleagues into uh, creating their own SPAC. Obviously, there's a lot of financial incentive, and so I would expect that to continue. Uh, that being said, some of these deals are going to fail, right? And uh, and if mm -hmm. we have a high-profile deal that fails uh, or turns out to be uh, you know a bad business combination, 
that could strike some confidence in the market and perhaps uh, reset uh, the level where some of these are trading. A lot of them are trading on future expectations. Um, with interest rates near zero, uh, you, you know, the equity valuations are getting bid up um, and um, the market is rewarding future revenue growth. Um, but ultimately, the companies are going to have to deliver on that growth. And so as we get further into the cycle, if the companies uh, that are being uh, combined in a SPAC transaction uh, fall short of revenue or earnings expectations, you'll see a reset in the market. But we're not there yet. No, I think that's super interesting. So yes, you do need to do your due diligence and be talking to smart people who who who, who understand these. So I, I appreciate that very much. Um, from like literally, I got an email this morning from Investopedia talking about just specs in general, and 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 they talked about how uh, a lot of the industry were cannabis, sports betting, things like that. Is is there a reason for that? Is is that because traditional money and and, and investors aren't don't have an appetite for that? So cannabis is kind of a unique unique example in the sense that it's being. Uh, legalized in a lot of states uh, with the last election cycle, a number of additional states, including my state, New Jersey, legalized uh, cannabis. Uh, it's still not legal at the federal level. And so access to capital and traditional banking sources is not available to them. So that's why that sector might be popular through a SPAC transaction. Um, but you're right. There are a number of sectors that are really sort of the big beneficiaries of, of this uh, new structure, right? Online gaming, um, payment processing, electric vehicles, uh, alternative power. Um, that's where a lot of the growth is, is manifesting itself. Um, some of that is enthusiasm with the new administration coming in and then being very environmentally friendly and expectations that uh, infrastructure deal will get announced in the new, uh, the new uh, cycle and that will benefit certain companies in those types of sectors. Uh, the fact that COVID has created sort of a, a reset on the economy and a different way to do business um, uh, has, um, I think, uh, brought a lot of those companies to the forefront. Um, it, it's difficult to predict whether that trend continues as the vaccine gets rolled out and ultimately, hopefully, we get back on with our lives. Um, just hard to say what that's going to look like as we get in into 2021. I'm certainly optimistic because I'd like to get back on with my life. Right. Um, but there will be changes inevitably. Work from home stocks have done very well in 2020. Cloud software stocks, um, cybersecurity stocks, I believe, will continue to be a very important component of the equity markets. So those are the areas where there tends to be a lot of the SPAC transactions getting done. Makes sense. Well, Patrick, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, so we're into into the new year. We've obviously seen a roller coaster in the equity markets. Right? We had a huge sell-off in March, April as the pandemic hit. We've really rallied, and it looks like we're we're going into 2021 on a high note. I hope that trend continues. Um, there's certainly some sort of road bumps in the way that could uh, could deter that. And so I think what's really important, depending on where you are in your life, in terms of your age, your in retirement, your approaching retirement, et cetera understand what your risk tolerance is. It, it can be very, very tempting to chase equity valuations. Um, everyone has that sort of that FOMO emotion where they don't want to be out of a name when you know their coworker or their neighbor is talking up how much money they've made or certain stocks have gone up a couple hundred percent in a year or 20% in a day. It's very, very tempting. 
Um, but I think you know where you are in your life cycle, whether you're in retirement, whether you're a risk adverse person, you really have to align your asset allocation with your risk tolerance. Um, and if you're incapable of, of doing that yourself or you are having a hard time checking your emotion at the door when you're making investment decisions, then then work with a financial advisor that really knows what they're doing, that can guide you through those those bumpy periods, that can really make sure that you're insulating yourself from the next market sell-off, which uh, is certainly unpredictable. That's why they call them black swan events. Um, and so I, I think as we get into the new year, it's it's a healthy exercise to go through with how far the stock market has come, um, where we think it's going, but really to kind of align your risk tolerance with your future asset allocation, not what happened last year, because uh, the markets are very forward-looking. Um, I would be amazed if 2021 was a repeat of 2020. Um, and so I think when you're making investment decisions, you're doing that with a view on where the puck is going, as Wayne Gretzky has said, and, uh, and, and align it with your risk tolerance. A lot of people fail in being able to do that um, because uh, they make decisions governed by their emotions as opposed to sound logic or research. So that's that's my biggest tip for the day. Well, I think that, that is great stuff. That definitely gets – come on. Come on. Patrick, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Thanks, George. Always a pleasure. And how, how can people track you down, Patrick? So our website is www.caliberfinancialpartners.com. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. You can Google me by my name. Uh, we have a Twitter account, uh, Caliber Finpar, uh, and uh, you know, very visible online. So um, happy to uh, to speak with anybody that like to do a free evaluation or just talk about you know how they're positioned going forward into the new year. Love it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Patrick your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to CaliberFinancialPartners.com. Find Patrick on social media as well and take advantage of the expertise. Thanks again, Patrick. Thanks, George. Again, Happy New Year. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. I know how important it is for me to hit reset, to refocus, reprioritize, and even reprogram myself every quarter or so in order to make sure that my mind, my body, and my money are where they need to be. These days, we are all going hard constantly with so many demands on our time, our attention. And that's why I created the Strive Online Bootcamp, to be able to take a step back, to ensure that we're optimized in three key areas of our lives, our minds, our bodies, and our money. And I'd love for you to come with me on this two-week journey. You can click on the link in the notes of the show, or you can go to strivedetox.com. Check out the program. I'd love to have you a part of it.